So we're looking at Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14, and I want to read it for you again. This is the portion of the text where we have moved from uh, that which we have seen, this promise of rest in the previous passages and how that is guaranteed and who guarantees it and what price he has paid to do such and what it means for the believer and yes, what it means for Christ to receive the glory and honor and to be worshipped in it. And now we have again uh, a description in chapter 14 of Christ being not only the high priest but a compassionate caring, loving high priest who is uh, in all ways like man, but he is in many ways unlike man in that he is divine, that he is merciful at all times, that he is just at all times, that he is gracious. And, And really the text is drawing out those attributes of Christ that are divine and godly as they always exist, even in his humanity. And then it it draws that out as well, the humanity that Christ is able to sympathize with the weakness of mere human mind and human living, that is, and, and the life that we have to do on this earth. And so when we look at verse 14, we have a little Uh, different, I guess, viewpoint on those things that have been spoken of in the past and up until this point in Hebrews. What we see is that there is really for us this beginning that is so important. And it says, therefore, and what we understand from this is exactly what every Christian should understand when he cites a a, a paragraph or cites a verse this therefore cannot be taken out of context and it can't be used uh, in many ways alone by itself but we must receive it with that which has come before it because without this promise of Christ without this divine Jesus who has been described from chapter one up and through chapter three and now into chapter four without that there is no therefore There is no salvation without this Christ, especially if this be a Christ that is anything less than an eternal God in the flesh. And so we have that monumental uh, statement there beginning the sentence, therefore, and that means for the aforementioned reason or reasons, everything to be said after, after this point is what it is because of everything that has happened. This means according to all that has been revealed uh, in chapter 4 until this point and in chapter 3 and chapter 2 and chapter 1 and the reality is that uh, Jesus said it in John chapter 5 that these are they that testify of him that every passage before anything that the believer has heard of Jesus Christ that is true, that is biblical, that is sound, that is God inspired in this holy word for all of those reasons therefore and that's what's really being said this is what we have before us this morning and if we would take it in its immediate context it's saying therefore thus far according to the scriptures that we have read in this particular epistle and this is not only limited to what we have seen Like I said in the verses preceding verse 14 in chapter 4. But also it's for us to uh, literally consider the entirety of this letter to to the Hebrews. 
For us to consider every word that has been given in chapters 1, 2, and 3 thus far. Chapter 1 dealing with the deity of Christ, the position of Christ, the sovereignty of God in Christ, His reign, His rule, His authority, His superiority, His supremacy. And then we get to chapter 2 beginning with this warning to pay much closer attention to the saving message. And that's what I say, a saving message of Jesus Christ. Why do we know it's a saving message? Because he said his word does not return void. He says that this is uh, the foolishness, the preaching that he sends man to do is that which is saving men. Not the the preaching itself, but the message that is revealed, the Christ that is uh, unveiled, so to speak. If the Spirit is moving and God is willing in the life of those who hear. And and of course we know that they can't be hearers only as the biblical text is so clear. So we're seeing the deity of Christ, the warning uh, of the message to take heed, to pay close attention to the saving message, to stop from drifting away. We must pay attention. And that is really what the message is saying. And it's not uh, so that we can stay safe of our own ability, but it's really saying, uh, be careful, be vigilant so that you don't drift away according to the saving mercies of God and the grace of our sovereign God, who without such, there is no salvation accomplished. We need him to keep us from drifting away. We need to be assembled. We need to be worshiping both privately and corporately. We need to be uh, hanging upon every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And that doesn't mean just on Sunday or Wednesday, but that means at every time, at every opportunity. And every opportunity is each time that you wake and your eyes are open and you're able to breathe. That is the time. And for some, the Bible says today is the day of salvation. That's what's so wonderful about the message being described here. All of this uh, is purposed by a God who is willing to save, who is able to save, who has accomplished redemption upon the cross. And this is his purpose for his glory. Nothing is done apart from God receiving glory. We're also called to notice many times Uh, From chapter 1 to chapter 4, the superiority of Christ, as I mentioned, the superiority to any created being because he is not created. Most intently, uh, those hosts created by him that are uh, far inferior to him. We're talking about those that are counted and esteemed highly, more highly than they ought to be. The angels here, Christ is uh, depicted there in chapter 2 as being so much greater than the angels. Yet, for some reason, we, we make over angels. We, we make them high. We make them mighty. We make them powerful. And apart from Christ, uh, they would be like any other being. They would fall. They would sin. And the reality is that they would rebel, but Christ would not because he cannot be separated from God. We're to consider the current servants and agents, agents, excuse me, these angels of God, those in Christ who may be sent to execute this temporal judgment or his declaration upon creation. These are what they are doing. They are taking orders from him he is far greater he is far surpassed with him in glory and any other uh, realm that you would consider 
those angels are sent as hosts, as servants of God and Christ to attend to saints. For he, being this Christ, who is Jesus, is altogether more wonderful and majestic than they. And that is the point of the text up this far, and that's what we're building on. This is one of those therefore scenarios. Therefore, because Christ is God in the flesh, and because Christ is better than any created being, and because everyone is to serve Christ, this is the focal point of our confession. In fact, the focal point is the Son of God, as we're told this morning. We are then shown the subjection of man to the world to come. And then again, Jesus, who became man, yet existed eternally before all of creation to create all of creation. And then we begin in chapter 3 to be called to a recognition of Jesus, the man who is also God who has actively, once and for all, served His people as great high priest. Not great priest, not high priest, but great high priest. And I would even take it a little further to say that He is greatest, highest priest. And we even sing it. And to answer His call, which we're warned to do, To answer this call is not merely a formality that man can himself somehow fulfill to enter into life eternal. But instead, it is a heavenly calling that he is neither able to receive or initiate upon his own instinct or ability, that being man. Nor could man in the flesh know without the spirit the language required for such an answer to the highest calling. And that's why it's important. It takes nothing short of God and no one short of God. And in one sense, no effort of man because apart from God and Christ, every effort of man is corrupting, it's damaging. Here we have neither one being acceptable. The text soon reveals that Jesus... And his appointment as apostle as well as his appointment as high priest of this saving confession that we talk about. We consider him in these respects and in these offices. And we read that today in verse 14 of chapter 4 that this is the saving Christ and this is why he has come. We listen because unbelief is to be regarded as certain death, guaranteed destruction, and not simply of the mortal body, but of the soul as well. And we're we're urged to consider that, especially during times like these. Fear not the one who can destroy the body, but the one who can destroy both body and soul in hell. This is why some saints are saying, we are still going to meet. A virus is a result of sin. Why should we fear one more, one sin more than the next? Yet we have a, a great freedom in Christ, but that is why we're here today to listen to this message and see just what happens when people are unbelieving. And you know what? If the people would turn to God, 
He's able with but a breath to remove any infirmity as He so pleases. We're urged to consider that God's Word is always true. God's judgment is always just. God's way is always righteous. And God's curse most certainly is real. People are unsure and fearful and running about scared today because they do not realize that God's Word is true and that this curse is real. Bringing certain death. But amen, this morning we have assembled with a great unity in the one whom we can say this of. God's Son is saving This is Christ Jesus. Therefore, it says, because of these truths, because of these realities, because of this work upon Calvary's cross, whereby God has taken the flesh of man, born of the virgin, suffered, found innocent, dead, buried, resurrected, and ascended, we can meet today. We can be saved, believing, have life in His name. It's because of these truths that verse 14 is able to say, therefore, speaking to us who know the reality of these events, marked by many eyewitnesses, saved, prepared, and kept in this collection of books that we call the Holy Bible for moments like this, preserved not by man, but by God. We must do something. And this something is revealed in today's verse. The last portion of today's verse, actually, we must hold fast our confession. And we'll get to that soon enough. Now, the penman with the therefore begins to relay all of these things in previous chapters that are to the natural man seemingly abstract. Like, you know, we don't have really proof. And that's how the natural man would respond. You give him a history book and he'll believe every word of it. You give him the Bible, which is the greatest book of history, divinely inspired by one who has never lied. And he wonders if it's true. So to the natural man, this is seemingly abstract, these events and the things that occur before this therefore here in the passage. As if he is defining a Christ, yet no factual or physical evidence has yet come forth to declare as a witness that these things are true. But the reality is that there are several witnesses to these concrete descriptions of the Savior, Jesus Christ. And We need to take them no further than God, the Spirit, and the Son. But if we must, there are many saints in heaven today that will declare the truths of God. And there are many here on earth that declare these are in fact fact. And that's why we're here. To declare that God is true. To be concerned with His attributes and with His character that people would consider Him as He is, perfect and holy and righteous and just and altogether truthful. 
And with the completion of the thought with the word therefore, Penman again begins to reveal the roles and positions that only Christ can fulfill. And Christ fulfills these roles and these positions on behalf of man and then as eternally existing God on behalf of God. The penman is in no uncertainty here saying because we have a great high priest. Not just therefore, but because we certainly do have a great high priest. What a wonderful statement about our Savior to describe Him in such a light that even the unbelieving Jewish mind would begin to comprehend just who this Christ may be. No, we don't have an ordinary high priest who is at some time or another committed sin or who has to make a sacrifice for himself. That is not the Christ that we have. And we don't have uh, a Christ who is somehow like man, but not so much like God. But we have a Christ who is God, a Savior who is man Savior who is Messiah, a Savior who can not be separated from His deity nor His humanity. But we have one in whom God has given man righteousness. God has given man forgiveness. Our high priest is a great one. And as I said, he is the greatest high priest because in him there was no sin there is no sin and there never will be any sin and there will never be a man to rival christ and in the ten commandments we see that there will never be a god to rival god in fact if we create one we have sinned in him no sin nor shall there ever be in our great high priest, Jesus the Christ, righteousness receives its definition. For it is an inherent quality of God alone to harbor, to contain, to be righteous. And the picture we see being built for us this morning in the text is really a union of the mortal and the immortal, a union between man and God, a union between church and state, a union between believer and unbeliever, and every gap is bridged by one man, one God, Jesus Christ. Where once many would see the high priest as merely some religious figure or a leader of a certain people, as uh, the Jewish people, now he being the Christ is seen as much more than that, not only a religious leader for one particular people, although it is true, there is only one people of God, one universal church, but it's no longer just these Jewish descendants, but even, uh, even to those who are Greeks. Circumcision and the uncircumcision in physical respects, but only to those in spiritual respect who are circumcised of the heart. Now, this Christ cannot be seen 
as he is described here, as simply this religious leader, but a church leader in all respects, in this life and in the next. And the substance of the text really would even direct us to understand that he is a leader, period. Even of those unbelievers who for a time will seek to usurp his authority and revolt against his kingship and his lordship, but it will not last. They will not prosper. Now with the definition throughout the scriptures, we see God is man. And he is man in Christ Jesus alone. The priest is no longer a mere man representing man to God and God to man as before. But as the hymn of Martin Luther says, Christ Jesus, it is he. Lord Sabaoth, his name from age to age, the same. This is what is being described of this great high priest representing man to God and God to man like has never been done before and like will never be done. And if you'd have someone standing in place other than Christ to do this for you, to do this bidding for you, you are certainly headed for hell. If you're trusting in self, you are headed to hell. There's no way to escape. This Christ is not only mediator, but he is truly man and truly God. Therefore, as priest, he, like as with his inferior predecessors, cannot be looked at to only at times represent the people. Because the priest had his life, right? He represented the people, but he was a sinful man. He had to be, according to the scriptures. He couldn't be looked at to only at times represent the people who would in this time we would see the picture of those people being the church. But and he was not only also to lead in certain areas of life. But as we see Christ today, Christ is leading his people daily interceding moment by moment. No mere man as priest at any time has ever done that. He's ever represented the Christian, the follower of God, like Christ has. No priest has ever done that. You know, you had to go to the priest, and now what the Bible is saying is that the priest has come to you. He has sought you out because he knows you have sinned. You ain't got to come to him. You don't need to bring a sacrifice and tell him, look, I've committed this atrocity. The great high priest knows the heart of men and he has come that men would hear his message and he has already sacrificed. You see how he's unlike any other priest? A priest who holds all ultimate authority. Not just in a temple, not just in a city, not just in a place, but in this life and in the next would you consider these verses? Therefore, since we have a great high priest. Exodus chapter 28, verse 1. Then bring near to you Aaron, your brother, and his sons with him from among the people of Israel to serve me as priests. Aaron and Aaron's son. Nadab and Abihu, Eleazar, Ithamar. 
Then Numbers chapter 18, verse 7, And you and your sons with you shall guard your priesthood for all that concerns the altar, and that is within the veil. And you shall serve. I give your priesthood as a gift, and any outsider who comes near shall be put to death. We're seeing the description of those who would be a priest before Christ takes on flesh. Not before Christ, but before Christ takes on flesh. Leviticus chapter 21, verses 6 through 8. They shall be holy to their God and not profane the name of their God, for they offer the Lord's food offerings, the bread of their God. Therefore, they shall be holy. They shall not marry a prostitute or a woman who has been defiled. Neither shall they marry a woman divorced from her husband, for the priest is holy to his God. You shall sanctify him, for he offers the bread of your God. He shall be holy to you, for I, the Lord, who sanctify you, am holy. He says, I'm sanctifying you and they shall be holy to their God and they should not profane the name of their God. Christ Jesus is the only man to ever from beginning to end, though he has none, but in his humanity from beginning to end to be holy and not profane the name of God. To not test God, to not tempt God, to not stray from God's will to do his own thing. And we start seeing the picture of how no man could meet these qualifications of priesthood like Christ has. In 2 Chronicles chapter 19, And behold, Amira, the chief priest, is over you in all matters of the Lord. And Zebediah, the son of Ishmael, the governor of the house of Judah in all the king's matters and the Levites will serve you as officers, officers, excuse me, deal courageously and may the Lord be with the upright. Here we have a description of one who is chief priest over you in all matters of the Lord. This morning I would present that Jesus Christ is this great high priest and he is in charge of you. He is over you in all matters of the Lord. But to the Christian, there is something a little different being described there. What are the matters of the Lord? Everything. Every action, every thought, every intent of the heart is to be given to God. Our bodies, a living sacrifice to the Lord, do all things as they're unto God. So what is Christ in charge of? Everything. The text this morning in our reading, Matthew chapter 11, described a God whose kingdom is. Everything is His and everything unto Him. The high priest here held such a respected and I bet not too often coveted position as it would be seen as quite the dangerous thing to do. He was to overlook as the chief other priests. He could do all the things that priests should do and are called to do But he had certain functions that were given to him and to him alone as the chief over all of these matters. This is an example of a high priest. A 
knew in one sense they had faith that they could go to the high priest and find out what they had been missing in regards to the will of God. They would say, you know what? Uh, Maybe this priest didn't come. We're going to the high priest at the time and he will be able to direct us as to what God is calling us to do. And this morning the text says that Jesus Christ is the greatest high priest and he alone is able to direct us to the will of God and to know what God expects of his people. To know what God is doing in His people. Not for us to forget that all of this is for His glory and for His glory alone. The high priest had to give a sin offering. Not only for those who were coming before him, like I said earlier, but he had to give one for himself. A sinful man. We're told in Numbers chapter 35 that if... There were some who had taken refuge because they had slain another man. They were to remain in this portion of this city for refuge. And when the high priest died, they could return and they would be granted freedom from this refuge. This man who was giving the sin offering. And what we see is that the Bible has been very clear. And this is the wonderful thing about living in Christ, as Paul says. To live as Christ, to die as gain. Because we, according to the Scriptures, according to this good news about Jesus Christ, have to deal with a confession. And that confession is that we are sinful, and He is not, and we have no righteousness, and He has it all, and we cannot be saved apart from Him, but with God all things are possible. And Christ has come. He has given His life freely on the cross. His blood is shed so that we can be saved. And the Bible says, you know what? You're a murderer, you're a thief, you're an adulterer. Now consider this, if we in fact are, as we are, spiritual murderers of our neighbor, we've hated, the Bible says we've done it, we've broken them all. We are spiritual murderers, and maybe, I don't know about it, but maybe some of us here are physical murderers. I don't know. But this is the reality. Somebody could hear this message today and this could be what sends the light bulb on. This is what God could use. We are murderers according to the Bible. Guilty of this sin. And we have in some respect sought refuge. And you know what? Our high priest has given a sin offering not for himself but for us. Not only has He given the offering, but the reality is that He has died, right? We can say amen to that because the next part is that He has risen. But He has died and now we can return in freedom in Christ to the life that we have been given that He would be served because He is risen indeed. What a beautiful picture that no other high priest can paint for us. If this high priest before Christ died, these people could go back, but guess what? That priest wasn't coming back. He couldn't do anything else for them. But we have a high priest who has died, who has lived, 
both before and after the death, one who has risen and ascended, one who has given a sacrifice that those who believe in Him, there remains no need for a sacrifice because He is all-sufficient. Most important duty might be seen as for the priest before Christ was to conduct a service on this Day of Atonement. Every year, seventh month, tenth day, entering the Holy of Holies behind the veil, bringing in the blood to be sprinkled on the mercy seat. Atonement for himself, atonement for those people who were sinning in his midst in these communities. All the sins that had been committed throughout the year against God. Thank goodness we keep short, keep short accounts with God over our sin. Because I, I would imagine it would be a very long list. And we see how Jesus in His death has torn the veil. He has gone and He has sprinkled with the most precious blood. And if all of this hasn't been clear enough for us, the text begs this question. How do we know that we have such a great high priest? Therefore, it's saying, since we have a great high priest, and you, we do, huh? Let's consider it. How do we know? Well, it says here, since we have a great high priest... Who has passed through the heavens? Who has passed through the heavens? Every foreshadow of the priesthood and all its duties have transpired and have been transpired by the life, death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus to Christ. Where like man, He has moved from one state of glory to the next, to the greater. And Christ has been restored to the glory that He once knew. This fellowship with the Father being God, not grasping for equality because He was and is God. He's been seated now at His rightful place on the throne. The Holy of Holies on earth or in a temple would now see the true fulfillment in thee, as it says, Jesus, Son of God. Jesus, the Son of God, who has passed into the heavens. Beyond the expanse of the mere sun or the moon or the stars, to include every imaginable definition of the word as we would translate it, heaven. He's gone beyond that expanse into the heavenly place where the host of angels gather to worship this Son of Man who has completed such a mighty, the mightiest of works. The place where no sin can go. The place not for the unrighteous, but for the righteous. And the Lord seated there makes all before His throne fit to bow, fit to be presented because He robes them in His righteousness. Not any other righteousness, but His righteousness alone. Brought there, not under the penalty of sin, but the free pardon of grace and the payment of His blood. Now this 
is that rest that has been spoken of in the previous weeks as we studied chapter 4. An eternal rest from the labor in this sinful world. This is why we sing victory in Jesus. Sin has its hold no more, saints. Amen. His sacrifice is not a temporary one. We don't have to worry about this priest dying again. We don't have to worry about coming to him every moment, every second, or at the day of atonement. He is there now and we can confess and he is faithful and just to forgive our sin. And we don't have to go to a specific building. We don't have to have a fattened calf or a bull or a goat or a sheep. We have the Lamb of God who has already been slain. Not a bone broken, but His blood shed nonetheless. It's not a momentary cleansing, but an eternal one where the curse is now ended and the price is paid not for just these sins, but for every sin, past, present, future, into eternity until the depth of this body comes. It has all been paid. Christ has, keep with me now, Christ has paid the principal, the entire balance as the principal, P-A-L, And this is where we get our principle, P-L-E. This is where we get our belief. That governing behavior, that Christian mindset to be like Christ because He has paid the entire balance in His own blood and He is the righteousness that we so desire and that we desperately need and we must look like Him and we must follow Him. And to love Him, we must keep His commandments. This is the fundamental truth, the basis for which we assemble today in unity. There is no holy place for Jesus to pass into again. His presence alone makes every place holy. Consider that. Every man before Christ, every priest To represent the Christ who was at the time to come. He was just one who was paying the interest on our sin. His sacrifice was just an interest payment to let us keep going only to incur more debt, right? That's what the the debt of this world is like. We pay a little interest just to keep going, just to dig a little further in debt. But when Christ comes, He pays the balance. And not only does He, but He has a credit on His account and on your account. There is nothing that the sinner who belongs to Christ can do to out Christ's payment. He is sufficient. And there is no if, and, or but. There's nothing to be added to or taken away like some like the Mormons would say that you're saved by grace after all you can do. Brother, all you can do is sin against the Holy God. Apart from Christ. The text goes on. says He's passed through these heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, the unique one, 
that which we saw in chapter 1, the monogenes, the only like Him. We've seen it. There is none like You, O Lord. This is Christ, and this is how He fulfills everything that has been said of Him uh, being the Messiah before He's taken on flesh. He is coming from the line of David. He is the Son of speak of David he is the Lamb of God he is the Son of God he has every right to every part of God's kingdom it's in his control it's in his sovereignty it's within the bounds of his reach because they have no bounds because of this therefore for everything that we've been told because Christ is such a great high priest because we live in him because he has risen and ascended into heaven beyond everything that we know into what we only see glimpses of because he is seated at the right hand this Jesus the son of God let us hold fast to our confession let us hold fast I think we only need to consider two things about our confession one that we are sinners and the world needs to hear this there is no punishment there is no torment there is no agony this side of heaven because that's where that's at that does not directly relate to sin if it isn't your sin, it was Adam's sin. It was inherited, this nature of sin. And for that reason, I say only two points to this confession. One, that we are sinners and therefore we have no righteousness. And the other part of our confession is that Jesus is this Christ, the Son of God. Who do men say that I am? And we can give a long list, but who do you, Peter, say that I am? Our response must be the same. You are the Son of the living God. He's the Messiah. To consider the response, blessed are you, the confession must contain the truths of sin, and the even more wonderful truths of the Savior who is perfect, who is man, who is God, who is able, and who has already conquered sin and death. This is our confession. And our confession doesn't merely just end with saying that we sin and saying that we need Jesus and now that we have Jesus, but it means our confession because we are, are those who contain this sin nature every day, we must cling to Christ. Not on Sunday, not on Wednesday, but every time this side of heaven that we open our eyes and, and amen, I know there's some brothers in this church that are clinging to Christ when they sleep. Truthfully, the confession says that we need Christ and we need Him now and we need Him every point in the future and we even needed Him when, before when we didn't think we had Him. Therefore, we must read His Word. We must continue to assemble. We must continue to worship. We must be reminded at every point in our life that we constantly need His grace. 
And if we have His grace, we have His blood. If we have His blood, we have His cleansing, eternally cleansing power. God has set us free in Christ. Those who believe and those who hold fast to this confession. And I would say this morning, if, if some be that have not made this confession, uh, it is very shameful to confess sin and it is uh, a very saddening thing to have to admit, but it's wonderful. It is the most wonderful, liberating thing that you can do to confess your sin and then to believe in Jesus the Christ and to believe, have faith in His name. Have life in His name. And that's life eternal. It's not facing the judgment. And that's not that God just throws it out. A lot of people misconstrue that. That God forgives and because He forgives that the sin is just thrown out. No, Christ has paid it. Jesus paid it all. And the second part, this is why hymns are better than a lot of contemporary music because we don't consider Christ. Jesus paid it all, all to Him I owe. That's why we have to continue to hold fast our confession, to be reminded all to Him I owe. At every moment, in every season, all to Christ I owe. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, we come before You. Lord, just thankful to see Christ this morning. Lord, we just pray that He is uh, high and lifted up uh, by the, the services and the worship here. Lord, in the minds of the saints and in the lives of those of the church. God, we just pray that uh, You would use this message, Lord, to uh, continue to sanctify us, to make us to look more like Christ. Lord, that this morning somehow someone would be saved by hearing the message of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, if, if every death in the past few months, if every locked person in their home, if everyone who is, who is taking refuge and not being able to work, Lord, if they're losing the temporal things, but for the sake to hear this message and be saved, to You we give the glory and honor, God. It is well worth it that we all lose everything. And gain Christ. Lord, we just thank You that that is the truth of this Word. Lord, that You would make us uh, wretched sinners to look like Your Son, Lord. And that You would betroth us to Him because of Your will, Lord. Because of Your sovereign omniscience, Lord. Because You are in control of everything to include salvation. God, You have appointed us to be bearers of this good news and to be followers of Christ. Lord, we thank You so much for it. We just pray uh, that your, your Spirit would be working, God, and that You would receive in all of Your persons the glory and honor and credit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Brother Pat, would you like to lead the last song?